Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Well, shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, coming to you as always from Out of Ashes Ministries in DeRitter, Louisiana. How are you guys and gals? I hope you're doing well. And um, it is the end of Shavuot. Um, some of you may have kept it for Sunday, some of you for Sunday and Monday. However you kept your Shavuot, we are nearing the end or it's already over for you and I hope that you are still basking in the radiance of Shavuot. That's what we're going to talk about today on today's episode uh, is the after of Shavuot. We've done this before with uh, Pesach and Hagkamatzah, and so this week I want to do this with Shavuot as well because I think it's really important. So before we get to that, let me just give a big welcome to all everyone who may be listening for the first time. If you just found us on Hebrew Nation, then hello, and uh, great to have you with us for this time, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. And for those of you guys that are faithful listeners, thank you for checking out the show either live or uh, if you listen to the archives afterwards, or if you listen on our uh, Out of Ashes uh, podcast on iTunes or our website, or wherever you happen to find us, thank you guys for being a part of the community and a part of the conversation, and uh, we appreciate it very much. Uh, just a reminder for all of you that uh, that would like to, we live stream our Shabbat services every Shabbat, uh, just about every Shabbat at 10 a.m. Central. And we do that to our website as well as to Facebook and YouTube. So go on our socials and uh, check us out. We'd love to have you. I say that, and just as I say that, we have one caveat. (laughs) This Shabbat, uh, the 11th of June, we will not be live streaming. We actually don't have Shabbat services at all this weekend. And um, so uh, we will not be having live streaming services this Shabbat, the 11th. But uh, after that, we will be kicking back in every single week on Shabbat, and we'd love to have you as a part of the conversation. So um, I think that is pretty much it. Oh, let me just say this. We are uh, gearing up already now that Shavuot is uh, is past us. We are gearing up for Sukkot. So we've had uh, uh, several families from uh, out of state uh, that have contacted us and said, hey, what are your Sukkot plans? We'd like to come join you guys. And that's awesome. I'm super pumped that you guys want to come join OAM Sukkot. Uh, and so for anybody that's interested, if you have, let me say this first of all, if you have a local congregation that keeps Sukkot, uh, however they do it, however you guys do it, do it there. I, I really think it's important to keep the festivals with your local congregation if you have one. Uh, and so please do that. Make it, you know, pitch in there and, and, and make it great. Um, if you don't, though, we would love to have you. Um, we are in the middle of nowhere in southwest Louisiana. It's hot and humid, and there's a decent chance of hurricanes. But in spite of all that, uh, we have a great time together, and uh, we'll be finalizing and putting out our uh, Sukkot schedule within the next couple of weeks. So hopefully gives everyone enough time to... Um, 
plan and coordinate and pray and decide what you want to do and where you'd like to spend uh, Sukkot. And you can find that schedule on our Facebook page. So if you haven't liked our Facebook page, please go and do that. And you can keep up to date with uh, Sukkot schedule, festival schedule, service announcements, and all that other kinds of good stuff. And that'll be here before you know it. So don't sleep on it. Uh, Let's start making plans right now. Let's go to the Father and pray before we get into this week's episode. Avinu Malkinu, our Father and King. Avinu Shabbat Shemayim, our Father that's in heaven. We are incredibly blessed that you allow us to sync up with your heartbeat in time, your Shavuot, your your Shabbat, your all the feast days. And Father, I thank you for this opportunity for us to be together. Bless us as we talk about your word today. So, as I said in the beginning, you know, this, uh, this year in the, the festival cycle, um, first of all, I just, I think it's, it's, it's incredible and an ingenious design by Shem to give annual uh, festivals, to give, first of all, a weekly Shabbat, and then to give annual festivals, um, just because humanity, uh, humanity needs cycles. You know, we... I've talked before on the show, and many of you have, have studied, and you understand this idea of the the difference, kind of in the Greek mindset and the or the Western mindset and the Hebraic or the Eastern mindset when it comes to time, especially that as a as a Western culture, we tend to think more linear in time. Uh, so we tend to think things that are older or less valuable, things that are newer or more valuable. And the most important, the most valuable are the things that we have yet to experience or yet to see. That's the most exciting. That's the most valuable. That's the, the most anticipated and the things we get excited about. Um, just, just, you know, lately in our culture, do we have kind of a resurgence of antiquity and the old things being valuable? Um, but generally, we look ahead. And most of you, again, will know that in, in Eastern uh, cultures and especially Hebraic culture, the thought, the thinking about time is more cyclical, right? Think in circles. So nothing ever really gets super old and nothing is ever brand new. Uh, everything is, you know, is, is redone. It's, it's birthed again. It's renewed. And we have words like that. And we think about the moon and we call it, you know, Rosh Chodesh, the head of the month. We call it the new moon. However, it's, we know it's not a brand new moon. It's renewed. And in that renewal, uh, we see a beautiful thread of what of God's faithfulness and and His His uh, His loyalty, you know, to His creation and to us as His created beings. And so, it's an awesome thing, and I think it's just brilliant. And I think it's something we you know we should uh, remember that you know every Shabbat we we have Shabbat every week, and it is a twenty four I say twenty five hour period of. Uh, you know, of dedication and commitment and just recentering and rest and worship and all those things. And then we have these feasts that are, they are the whole, not only the gospel story, uh, they are that, but they are the whole biblical story. They are their history story 
every year we get to reenact history story. Uh, and not only in the past, but we're as we're rehearsing and doing these rehearsals, we are really in real time um, reenacting what's going on today. And then we know that on a third layer that we are uh, we are rehearsing for the future, right? And so it's, it's just beautiful these cycles that Hashem has put into place um, that we start to learn that you know time is. It may seem linear in our minds and in our culture, but really time is all cyclical. Humanity is uh, is the same. There are rebirths and uh, deaths always in a constant cycle. And I uh, this year, this this cycle through the festivals, I really was inspired to, you know, we, we have this tendency to anticipate like Passover. We have this tendency to anticipate Passover and, and and that's a good thing, and we prepare, and then we have Passover, and then we have a tendency to start immediately looking for the next thing, which is not a bad thing. I'm not criticizing that. Uh, I think that's that's a necessity because of growth and you know moving ahead. That that's the way that we need to see it, and and that's a good thing. Um, I, I do think though that there is some value in in passing through the festivals, and 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 you know rehearsing and and participating in the the sacred times. And afterwards, remembering uh, why we just did what we did, what we did, how we did it, and how that projects us into the future. And I think that Shavuot is a great, uh, a great example of that, merely because Shavuot is not, even though it's a one-day festival, Shavuot can sort of fall through the cracks. Um, you know, and, and this is, I guess it's kind of human nature. Because we, we, some of us did the same thing in our Christian walk where, you know, it was Christmas and Easter. You know, those are the two hot spots. And regular Sunday church, you may have gone faithfully. You may have known people that didn't, you know, weren't in church, but Christmas and Easter. But albeit everybody, you know, had their behinds in church, Christmas and Easter with mom and dad or grandma and grandpa, whatever. And that's what we did. And that's, we made sure we did those things. And in the, the Jewish world, I know, you know, having Jewish friends, I know that say that, you know, there's a lot of Judaism, you know, not typically non-observant or less observant Judaism, uh, that they do, you know, Yom Kippur is the big day. Everybody's in synagogues. Synagogues are packed all across the world. And then Pesach, everybody's with their families, you know, and things like that. And so it's, it's, it's like that on both sides of the family. And for us that are, that have experienced that and yet have found the Torah, I think it's important for us to not carry some of that baggage and some of those habits into this, uh, this you know, this walk and into this lifestyle, but to to be transformed, right, and to be changed uh, and to grow out of some of those things into more fullness. And that's, I think, what all of our hearts desire. That's what we all want. So as we're talking about these things, Shavuot, even though it's a one-day festival, it's a one-day celebration, of course, according to the Hillel calendar, the Jewish calendar in the diaspora, it's two days, but... Uh, you know, a, a one-day celebration, it really do, it really doesn't stand on its own. It's not something on its own. Now, when you talk about Pentecost Sunday and the way that the Christian world understands it, it's the it for most or the vast majority of Christians, I would I would believe, it's this really unknown, mysterious thing that happens one day, and really, the only point for the disciples and for all these Jewish people that were gathered in the in Jerusalem on in Acts two, the only really the, the big deal was so the spirit could fall, right? 
and they don't understand that you know this that that Pentecost or Shavuot has a long history, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of history and 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 context and culture that surrounds it. And the most important thing for our discussion today is that we we spent time during Pesach talking about the you know what next or what so what right so we did Pesach so what we remember that that during Hakamatsa after Passover we remember that we have been redeemed we have been rescued right from bondage and that rescuing and that redemption then leads to a a cleansing and that's what Hakamatsa is about it's about cleansing and it's not always from sin. Hametz is tied to sin several times in the scripture, yes, but Hametz is also in the gospels tied to the kingdom. So we can't say that, you know, it's just all, all, all about sin. Sometimes it's just a, a different way of thinking. Sometimes it's just being rescued from a, an old way of thinking and being being cleansed of old ways of thinking. And And honestly, that should be happening every year, right? Every year that we celebrate Pesach, we remember our initial redemption when we were called out of the world in, in, in essence, we were called from our sin at large and called to submission to Yeshua, the Messiah, right? We should remember that. We should always remember that initial calling and be thankful and have be full of gratitude for that, that initial salvation. And yet every year, we should be, as we said before, these cycles that happen every year, we should be growing and expanding and learning and changing and being challenged into being grown into the image of Mashiach, right? And so every Pesach, I hope that we're being delivered from stuff all over again. We're being delivered from from things, maybe not all over again, but anew. We're being delivered from deeper ways of thinking and from deeper habits and from and maybe from sin, uh, you know, deeper bondages and all these different types of things. So we should remember that. And during Hagkamatsa, the feast of unleavened bread, it's about that cleansing and about that that getting all the 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 old leaven out, so that we can be re-leavened, right? As we look forward to Shavuot. And then we, we go from Hagkamatsa, there is no break. And this is the, the point I want to make in this first segment is that we have redemption in Pesach. We have this cleansing in Hagkamatsa. And then we have no break from Pesach all the way to Shavuot. And so even though Shavuot is a one-day festival, one-day celebration, a Moed, a Hag, it does not stand on its own. It is, uh, it is the bookend to Pesach. You have Pesach, and then you have Shavuot, and in the middle is really you could kind of think of it as one big festival time, right? Because we're we're involved in Sefirat HaOmer, counting the Omer, and we have you know this everyday devotion as we carry on from Pesach and Hagkamatzah. We have this everyday introspection, devotion, and this time that we're counting every day, every day, leading up to what? Leading up to Shavuot, and I just feel like this year. I was really convicted, kind of, I guess, I don't know, convicted, maybe not to be the right word, but I was really impressed that, that Shavuot just doesn't get the play that it deserves. It, it, in, a lot of, you know, in a lot of our teaching, a lot of our walk, it doesn't get the, 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 the priority that it deserves, not only because it is an appointed time, it is a festival, but also just because it is a part of the unit that is Pesach. It is Passover extended. It is the, 
the we could say the culmination but it's not even a culmination it's another step in the journey towards Sukkot and Shemini Atzeret the eighth day right that's really the culmination of the festival season and so the this link between Pesach and Shavuot is really important and, and we need to celebrate Shavuot and we need to be cognizant of Shavuot as a part of Pesach as a part of that redemption story you know it's it's really interesting that how much of scripture and you can look this up but how much of the torah is dedicated to to you know the book of genesis covers a ton of time right a huge swath of 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 israelite history and and human history and then you get to exodus to shemot and it kind of the torah kind of puts the brakes on right and then you have the exodus story and then you have the the 50 days to shavuot to to mount sinai and that's a really short time, right? A real a few months, maybe uh, three months, right? To be exact, it's three months. And then from uh, from Mount Sinai, you have the rest of Shemot, you have Vaikra, and you have the beginning of Numbers of Bamidbar. And all of that, all of that scripture is dedicated to just a short amount of time around Mount Sinai, around the covenant mountain, around giving of the commandments, around giving of the Torah. And then you have numbers, which basically the book of Bamidbar covers 40 years. Um, and really only the la- only the very beginning of the journey and a couple of spots in between. And then the last couple of years of the journey um, is really all you have in Bamidbar. So there's huge swatches of time that and, and events and history that are skipped or that are not mentioned in Scripture, in the book of Genesis and the book of Numbers. And yet the things that are focused on are the redemption, the giving of the mitzvot, and the time, wrapping up the time in the wilderness. And so I think there's a lot of, I think there's a reason for that. And it's something that we don't maybe realize and we're not cognizant of always. But just think about that. There are huge parts of time that are missing from the Torah. So that is supposed to emphasize and really shine a light on what is in added in the Torah, what is included in the Torah record uh, for our, you know, for our good and for our instruction, for our encouragement and for our, you know, our challenging, of course, for our exhortation. So um, I, I want to talk about Shavuot a little bit today, and I want to talk about where we go from here and, and how we carry on uh, from here because we have celebrated Shavuot. And so this is kind of a Shavuot what now kind of kind of discussion. So, uh, of course, we're going to start in uh, Shemot chapter 19. And if you are somewhere where you're sitting down, you can read scripture with me. Please do that. And if you're driving, just listen along. Uh, I'm reading from the Tree of Life version today. Uh, I read from different translations at different times. It just kind of sparks my, my, my curiosity and, you know, and lets me think a little bit. Um, but in Shemot chapter 19, verse 1, we start to read, In the third month after B'nai Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, that same day they arrived at the wilderness of Sinai. They traveled from Rephidim, came into the wilderness of Sinai, and set up camp in the wilderness. Israel camped there right in front of the mountain. Right, And we understand this. Uh, you know, This was a huge revelation. It might be nothing to you guys. Probably isn't. But I'm simple. So things like this really, uh, really excite me. But, you know, when I really started, I, I, let me say this as a, as a preface first, as a disclaimer, I'm not a good reader. I can read. I'm not illiterate, but I'm, I'm not a good reader. I just never have enjoyed reading, never practiced much. 
And so reading scripture, I really have to work hard to be a good just reader, just, not a biblical scholar, but just reading a, how to read a story well, how to read a text well. And, you know, realizing that this area of Sinai is where Moses had spent a lot of his time while he was in the quote unquote backside of the desert. He was in the area of Sinai and this place of the burning bush uh, where he met with Hashem. And this was most likely, and according to Jewish tradition, this was definitely Mount Sinai, the same place that we are right now. And I just, you know, like you, like I said, probably not a big deal for most of you. And, you, and most of you are probably like, yeah, duh. You know, we knew that as kids. But it was, I don't know, it was just something exciting for me to to understand that they that Moshe knew where he was going, and and took them back to the mountain where he had met Hashem officially, or, or, or you know, in the first place. So verse three says, Moshe went up to God, and Adonai called out to him from the mountain, saying, "This is the house of Jacob." Or say this to the house of Jacob, and tell B'nai Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, this is part of something that Hashem is trying to communicate to Israel over and over and over. And it's uh, the, the phrase would be the word would be zakar, right? Uh, the phrase would be hazikaron, the remembrance uh, to re- zakar to remember and hazikaron, the remembrance, right? This is something that, that Hashem is constantly encouraging Israel to practice to practice remembering. And as we've talked about before on the show, and we've talked about on Shabbat, if you've caught those, zakar, the idea to remember is not just to think back on. It's not just to recall in your memory. But one definition I heard that I absolutely love is when you say remember, remember means to speak and act on behalf of whatever you're remembering. And that really puts a – it takes, them, takes it from being a very cerebral exercise to being something very action-oriented, which is something we need more of, right? We as Western Christians tend to be very cerebral, and we need to be challenged by our older brother uh, you know, and our brothers and sisters, the Jewish people, in being more actionable, more action-oriented. And so this – Hashem starts these few verses, and it's this, it's this essence of, of Hazikaron, the remembrance. Remember. And, and that's what I'm trying to do, I think, this year for our festival cycle is just because we celebrated Shavuot over the weekend, let's not automatically move on to the next thing and 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 disconnect from Shavuot and start connecting, you know, start looking forward to Yom Truah and, and Yom Kippur and Sukkot. While we do need to start planning and preparing and getting our hearts ready and our minds ready, remember that all these feasts are interconnected and they all lead from one to the next. And they are supposed to be a constant engagement, an opportunity to constantly engage with the Father. So he says, you've seen what I did. And verse 5 says, now then. So, you know, in remembrance, now there's going to be a requirement. And it's the same for us. As we remember Shavuot and we remember, you know, the gatherings that we went to and the messages that we heard and the prayers that we prayed and the blessings and the songs that we sang and the fellowship that we had, as we remember the importance of the day, we need to remember that there's going to be a requirement now because you remember these things. He says, if the biggest word in scripture, right, is a two letter word. If, if you listen closely to my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be my own treasure from among all people for all the earth is mine. And I I love this verse and it's really challenging and it's especially challenging to us. And I'm going to hurt some feelings and I'm going to apologize. Well, no, I'm not. I'm going to apologize ahead of time. I don't intend to hurt any feelings or to offend anyone, but 
this is a tough verse, and we could read over it, and we go, yeah, okay, got it, and we move on to the next one. But let's slow down a little bit, and let's think about this. So he's telling Israel, the nation of Israel, which is natural-born, Abrahamic, right, lineage, but it's also a mixed multitude of Egyptians and all the ites, right, from Canaan that Egypt had, had captured, had taken as slaves. And so it is a mixed multitude. But he speaks to them, and in our understanding, he's speaking to the whole mixed multitude. Now, in, in Jewish understanding, he's speaking just to the Abrahamic line, which is a really interesting distinction and something that we should kind of think about and wrestle with, right? It, what is it? Is it just the Abrahamic line? Is it just the, the Hebrews, or is it the whole multitude? Again, I never even considered a different way of thinking about it as, well, oh, of course it's the mixed multitude, until I, until I started understanding how the Jewish people understand it. And I thought, oh, why do they understand it this way? It's something really interesting at least to think about. So as we wrap up this segment, when we get into the next one, we're going to continue in Exodus 19. Don't go away. We'll be right back after the break. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio for this week. And so we're talking about God speaking to the congregation gathered at the mountain, whether or not we think that's the entire mixed multitude or whether that's just the Hebrews. Again, an interesting, if you've never considered the other option, that's an interesting thing to kind of rabbit hole to kind of to walk down. Uh, the Jewish people, commentators and sages have a lot to say uh, about the mixed multitude versus the, the Hebrews there. But anyway, not for this episode. He says, if then, then you will be my treasure from among, from among all people, for all the earth is mine. This is what really hurts our feelings, self-included. Okay, I'm going to include myself in the... Uh, in the group that has a propensity to be offended whenever we're talking about this particular verse, because uh, I because it it does it it hurts my feelings. The the we have uh, we have some baggage in Christianity, good baggage, bad baggage. That that we say baggage in a negative context. It's not always you know negative, but we have this. Uh, I'm gonna call it. Um, we're I'm gonna say we're spoiled. In a way, we have this, uh, not not we deserve it necessarily, but we have this attitude uh, of almost like, well, we, we are the apple of God's eye and we can sit in daddy's arms and we can, um, you know, we can go boldly into the throne room of grace. And we have all these, these things. You know, I have some Facebook friends and I'm using air quotes, you can't see them, but we have some Facebook friends that are that are talking about that are in Jerusalem right now that uh, are touring the steps from the pool of Siloam up to the temple Mount. And, you know, it's just so funny. They're, they're very, very Christian, you know, still, and, and they're great people and I love them, but you know, they, they are where they are just like we all are. And um, just to hear them talk about, you know, the way that, that they were talking about the steps and the steps in that particular walkway, um, they're uneven. They're not a set, uh, distance or height, 
Um, and the, the purpose of that historically is because you were not supposed to rush up into the into the temple complex. You were not supposed to rush up, you know, to the to the temple. As you walked, you were to be careful. You were to take your time. You were to be meditative and introspective as they sang the songs of ascent, and, you know, from the Psalms, et cetera, et cetera. And you were supposed to pre- be preparing yourself to, to as you aliyah and you ascend up the the steps uh, to the temple. And so, um, this, you know, and they, in their minds, they turned it into this, you know, this thing where like, thankfully, we don't have to do that and we can go to church anytime. And I was just like, oh, gosh, you just totally missed it. You know, and it's this, you know, it was like that for them. But thank God it's not like that for us. And my point is like, no, it is like that for us. We have this interesting you know this interesting uh, thing that we 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 had this entitlement almost, and and that that we can you know those poor Jews those poor Old Testament folks you know they had to go through the temple they had to go through whatever blah blah blah, um, and we can just you know I can jump in Daddy God's arms any any time I want to, and and while there is some truth to that you know that the God is, is his loving arms are open and he's there at you know any time we need he walks beside us and with us and in us all the days of our life. While all that is true, there's a, a part of this passage in Exodus 19 that really perplexes me, and, and it's something that I think we, you know, we should probably think about a little bit. We'll, we'll get to that in a, in a second. But the, the point here that, that really can be offensive is, is that we, we have this hang-up that we are God, the apple of God's eye. And we forget, and my one of my real big things is rooting out anti-Semitism and, re, and replacement theology wherever I find it. I don't go looking for it, but whenever I see it, I want to I stab it. I want to cut off its head. That it, it offends us, and it hurts our feelings, and it angers us to think that there is someone else, another person or group of people that has authority over us between us and God. Yeah, did you feel a little like, I don't like that? I don't either. But the fact of the matter is that that Israel was chosen by God from, from among all people. All of the earth is Hashem's. We are all his creation, made in his image for his purposes, to partner with him to bring his image to this earth, right? That's, that's true. We, those of us in Messiah, are 100% in fellowship with God children of God, you know, all of that is true. And I'm not, I'm not trying to, to, uh, to make us second-class citizens. Please understand, that's not what I'm trying to do at all. I don't believe that at all. I don't believe that the Gentiles are, are lower in standing with God than the Jewish people. And thankfully, I know I have a lot of Jewish friends that don't believe that either. The tide is turning even in, in Judaism to some, in some respects to, in that attitude. However, God does have a a system. He does have a, a way of, of communicating with humanity and of ordering the kingdom. And hierarchy would not be a great word just because it has so much baggage with it. But the bottom line is that he didn't give you and I authority uh, to preserve this text. He gave the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, the Hebrews, or the mixed multitude, however you want to look at it, he gave them out from all people to preserve with their lives, with their blood, with their very breath, to preserve his covenant, his Torah, his commandments, right? And 
the, the truth is, I used this example yesterday in our Shavuot teaching. Uh, how many of you have had the experience in church where maybe you, 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 someone new, someone comes to the Lord newly, right? And they may be, let's say they're a little older and they, they've come to the Lord and they're super excited. I mean, they are on, they are on fire, right? And next thing they want to do, they get baptized on Sunday. And the next thing they want to do, they want to preach to everybody they see. They want to they want to take the mic out of the pastor's hands and give testimony. They want to teach a Sunday school class. They want to lead a men or women's group. They want to, you know what I mean? They want to go and missionize. They want to evangelize. They, you know, all this stuff. And be honest with yourself. And this is not condescending. This is the way I think it should be. How many how many times have you looked at those people and thought, hang hang on, pump the brakes, like you you're just a new baby Christian. There's a, like, sit down, be excited. We're glad you're excited. But sit down, learn, listen, gain some wisdom, and then in your zeal and wisdom, you can be effective for the kingdom. Not just in zeal, right? And and sometimes it's it's convicting for us because we're like, well, why am I not excited as excited as that person? And that should convict us. But also, sometimes those those new believers, in all of their excitement, and we don't ever want to be the wet blanket on that excitement, ever, ever. And same thing when someone comes to Torah. We don't ever want to be the wet blanket to say, oh, well, just wait, you know, you, you'll settle down. And we don't ever want to do that. However, we do want to guide them in, into wisdom because zeal without wisdom is really destructive. Some of you know that personally. You've seen it. You've lived it. Maybe you are it. I don't know. So we, so we have that attitude, and it's just kind of like, well, wait, hang on a second. You know, don't go tearing things up yet. Let's learn, learn some scripture, learn some context, you know, get in a class, uh, get in a, get in, getting some teachings, get in some wisdom. And so my thought process behind that is, well, how do the Jewish people look at us then? Whenever those that know about us, whenever we come to the Torah and we're reading it in English, by the way, with no context, with no cultural understanding, with no historical understanding, with no tradition, because we weren't raised in it. We're, a lot of us are coming to the Torah for the first time. And now all of a sudden we want to point fingers at the Jewish people and tell them how their rabbis are changing things and they've messed up and they've distorted the scripture and they're adding and taking away and they're this and they're that and blah, 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 blah. My point is, it looks a lot like what it looks to us when a new Christian, when a new person comes to Christ, and all of a sudden they're just blowing and going, and they're destructive. Something to think about, something to be introspective about. The, the, the fact is that God did choose a group of people to pour himself into, his life into. Again, this is, a, this is the thing that Paul dealt with, right? All through his ministry, all through the New Testament, it's this struggle between, well, who are the Gentiles? Are they one with Israel, are they the same? Are they not? Are they? This was the whole thing. And Paul's, I think, his cumulative, you know, his 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 end of his whole understanding was that we are children of God, just like the Jewish people. However, there is advantage to being Jewish. Let me say this: there is also advantage to not being Jewish, and it all comes out in the wash. And we, as Western Christians or former Christians, if you don't think of yourself as Christian anymore. We have to be okay with sitting down, being quiet, and learning, and learning some wisdom, some guidance, tempering our zeal just a little bit, 
until we get it tempered with wisdom to the point where the zeal is not destructive. And and this this plays out in this in this uh, passage. He goes uh, he he goes on to say that there will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And verse uh, eight it says all the people answered together and said everything that Adonai has spoken we will do. And ladies and gentlemen, this is a turning point in human history. This is absolutely you know we. We can have the, I think Rabbi Foreman speaks about the lullaby effect. We can be victims of the lullaby effect because Baruch Hashem, praise God, we have grown up, most of us, surrounded by the Bible and religion and Christianity and scripture and prayer and worship. And even if you didn't grow up in church, there's a good chance, you know, in in America it when except for the last maybe 10 years or so you couldn't turn around without hearing something about god or the bible or church religion whatever we are saturated in it especially in you know rural towns more religious you know places we are we have been saturated with it most of you probably were fortunate enough to grow up in a christian home where as i say you know you had a drug problem you were drugged to church every time the doors were open that, but that's a good thing but we can we can get complacent and we can get comfortable in that and we can be you know we can we can think well like this is how it always was and it wasn't folks there's a time in history where the knowledge of the god of abraham isaac and jacob was not worldwide you know before the internet and before texting and instant messenger and all this other stuff and you know a 24 hour news cycle there wasn't you could literally live in a you know a, a town you know, 10, 15 miles from you and maybe worship a whole different God with different worship practices and a different language and different, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so the, the knowledge of God to a diverse group of people, uh, you know, of the Abrahamic faith was not known and was not a thing really as a nation until verse eight of Shemot 19, when Israel said everything that God says we will do. This is the turning point in human history. Before the the ten matters are spoken of, the the ten commandments, and so we go down just a few verses, and we get to verse ten and eleven. And verse eleven says, "Be ready on the third day. For on the third day, Adam and I will come upon Mount Sinai in the sight of the people." Verse twelve: You are to set boundaries for the people all around, saying, "Be very careful not to go up onto the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain will surely be put to death. Not a hand is to touch it, but he." will surely be stoned and shot through wherever it is, whether it's an animal or a man, it will not live. When the shofar sounds, they may not come up to the mountain. So Moshe went down and consecrated them and washed their clothing. And he explained all these things to us, to them. So here's my, here's the challenge of this verse for me this year, as I was, you know, rereading and preparation and, and meditation for Shavuot. Here, here's the, the, the thing that got me is that again, you know, in our, in our, Christian understanding, this idea of closeness to God is is very strong, and, and it's, it's a good thing. Please understand, I'm not trying to criticize, and I'm not trying to, to you know, to take away that. I am, I am unbelievably grateful that Hashem is present with me, and that He is close to me. I mean, it, it's the only thing that keeps me alive, right? However, this is an experience where, you know, according to you know, tradition that, that God married Israel on this day, the, the betrothal, 
uh, the exodus from Egypt, the covenant, the ketubah, and God marries Israel on this day. Now, that is the most intimate act that you can have. And I'm not talking about sexually. I'm talking about two, two entities basically becoming one, right? This, this idea that, that God marries Israel on this day is beautiful. And, and it's something we really appreciate and should appreciate. However, even in this most intimate act, in this most intimate setting, God puts a boundary where he says, basically, I'm going to marry you today, but don't come close. Have you ever thought about that? And you, we can pass it off and go, yeah, well, well, God's holy. Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely the right answer. But it's an interesting thing for us as, you know, evangelicals, ex-evangelicals or Protestants, you know, whatever, that have this idea of this ever closeness with God that we do we think about the boundaries or do we just think about being close to God? Do we think about, you know, the the intimacy we have with God, which is something we sing about and, you know, and thank God about our prayers and, and you know, whole worship service and stuff are designed to promote intimacy with God. Should, do we think about that only or do we balance it with this idea that, yes, God wants intimacy and God wants to be present with us in a very real and constant way. However, there are boundaries. And I just think that's a really interesting paradox that we see in, you know, in this, in the story that, that, that every, that everybody says, yes, we we're all in. And God says, great. I'm so glad you're in. That's the words I wanted to hear. Don't come, don't come close to me. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just think it's so interesting, right? And so we have this the whole Shavuot experience plays out and the fire and the you know the lightning and the the cloud and the earthquake and uh the sound of the shofar and and all these things and we have the people going uh going down and 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 getting closer to the mountain and Moshe going up, right? And then we have the ten matters that are being spoken of, right? And and I say the ten matters because uh, depending on how you count them, there are really three main ways to count the commandments. There's the Jewish way, there's the Catholic way, and there's the Protestant way generally, and they all differ just a, a little bit. And in this in this giving of the matters, the first matter or the first word is, "I am Adonai your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage." That's the first matter, and I say this all the time. I like thinking about them as the ten matters, the ten sayings, the ten words, rather than the ten commandments, because the first commandment is the first matter is not really a command. It's a commandment to remember, but it's really a matter. And if we don't have the first matter right, then the rest of the matters don't matter. So two through not through two through ten don't matter if we don't have number one right that we've established that that God is the one who brought us out of bondage, right? And uh, and so we then we you know it, it goes down from there. And we have these, you know, all all the the commandments which we won't uh take a bunch of time on today. Hopefully you you read them yesterday uh and you know meditated on them them yesterday. And then verse 18 says the people witnessed the thundering lightning as and some translations say that they saw the thunder uh, which is an interesting way of saying it. And the sound that they saw, the sound of the shofar, uh, and the mountain smoking, and they saw it, and they stood and trembled far off. So they said to Moses, you, you speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. 
And this is where the sages say this is the beginning of the prophetic office, the prophetic line. The purpose of God was that he would speak to the people. Uh, and when in one of the verses we didn't read, um, God says, God tells Moshe, I'm going to come down in a cloud so that all the people can hear me speaking with you. And the people said, hey, listen, if God continues to talk to us, and we have to keep listening to God's voice, we're going to die. You go ahead and you go speak to him and then you say. And so God says, okay, they've spoken well. And since that time, there's been prophets in Israel. And so they 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 say, you know, you go and, and speak to God and, and come back and tell us. And in verse 20 says, Moshe said, the people do not be afraid. God's come to test you so that his fear may be in you, you know, in you so that you do not sin. And the people stood afar off while Moses drew into the thick darkness where God was. And I just think, wow, like if Moses needed any more credentials to be the leader of Israel, of Israel, right? If he needed any more confirmation, the people are standing there shivering, right, in their in their loincloths, and Moshe walks up into this thunderstorm, this firestorm, right, on the on the mountains, on the mountain. It's it's amazing. And then we go in to talk about the altar and and you know and, and those things. And then in chapter twenty one, um, we have ordinances, and this begins the parsha Mishpatim, uh, one of my favorite parshas in the Torah. Uh, and so there's a continuation from the 10 matters, right? So that the 10 matters are the building blocks of the Torah. They're the foundation. And that's what we celebrated yesterday. We celebrated the giving of the 10 matters, right? And now what we have to look forward to is we have been given and we have been, we have been brought into this, uh, this, fam- this family through salvation, through Yeshua, and now we are we are, don't only have the blessing of the the commandments which we which they are and which we do have we also have the flip side of that which is the responsibility because in in political terms a right without a responsibility is very destructive right if you just have a lot of rights to do whatever you want but you don't have any accountability or responsibility to balance those rights, then you really don't have freedom. Then what you have is you have people that are uh, are exercising their rights at the expense of other people, and so the balance in 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 law in you know governmental law and societal law, the balance is that you have the right to do all these things, but when your right begins to encroach on the freedom or the right of another person, that's the balance, that's the accountability. And so the Constitution of America, for instance, is basically a law, a, a document of negative rights, saying how far, especially primarily the government, the government shall not infringe, right? The government can't go, can't infringe on these rights. And between people, you can't murder somebody. It's your right to do whatever you want. You have you have rights to be a free uh, an expressive person in America, but when your right and your you know your anger or your whatever begins to encroach on the right of another person, you have that's accountability, it's responsibility, and so it's it's important for us to remember in the kingdom that we have the blessing of the Torah and the blessings of the Spirit, the blessings of Messiah, the blessings of being a child of God, but with that it is balanced with a responsibility. Now, what do you do with it? Well, in, in Exodus chapter 21, we have the ordinances. In other words, this is how you're going to start to live out the things that I just, that you just agreed to. You agreed. You said, yeah, we'll do it. 
And now this is how you're going to live it out. And then we start to break down into all of this, these, these technicalities and break down the commandments and start to show how we, how we deal with the 10 matters in our everyday, our everyday lives. The, you know, the, the idea that we, we, we come to the Torah and we're full of zeal and we celebrate Shavuot and we're full of zeal is a great thing. And it should be that way. But what are we looking forward to, right? What's the next festival in the cycle? The next festival is Yom Truah, or Rosh Hashanah, right? It's the beginning of the 10 days of awe, Yamim Nuraim, the 10 days of awe where, where we, we are getting ready for the judgment on Yom Kippur. So Shavuot, again, is connected to Pesach, our redemption. We, we get the blessing of, of the, the commandments, of the Father's instructions, His beautiful life-giving uh, hope-giving, light-giving instructions because we chose to be and we agreed to be his children after he delivered us, right? God delivered Egypt, but they, uh, Israel out of Egypt, but they still had to say, yes, we'll do it. And the important thing about leaving Shavuot and, and going to the next festival, the next Moed, the next Hag, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Tura, is that we now have this time between now and Rosh Hashanah that we have to get busy Right, we have to get busy consecrating ourselves before God and living in favor with God and man, because there's a judgment coming in just a couple of months. And so, as we look forward to Yom Tirah and to Yom Kippur, we have to remember that we have a responsibility, and it's up to us now in this period during the time of Elul and the forty days of Shuvah to make sure that we're working towards the commitment that we made. And so, let's not leave Shavuot in the rearview mirror. Let's remember it as we approach the fall feast with joy and gladness and with humility. I love you all. Until next week, shalom, shalom.